everyone. I'm Rachel Poli with Ari Meglin, and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer Podcast. We're on episode 20, and this week's question is, what do you wish you knew before you started writing? Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show, and if you enjoy our episode, please give it a like. Writing seems easy on the outside, but it's a lot more daunting when you get started and can be overwhelming. So this week, we're talking about some things we wish we knew about writing before we got started. For me, one thing I wish I knew about writing is how time-consuming it is. I can churn out words quickly, but it doesn't mean they're any good or they make sense. I've been working on the first book of my mystery series since 2011, and when I first started writing it, it was vastly different from how it is now. And I wrote a draft, and I edited it, and I wrote another draft, and I edited that. And then after a few rounds, I found my local writers group, and they all had the exact same concerns about my main character, and I agreed with them. So I ended up basically going back to square one with the novel, and I rewrote the entire thing. The main character was different. I had another brand new main character, so I have two protagonists, and the point of view character is different too. So everything changed, and It's a lot better now than it was before, but I never ever thought in my lifetime that I would still be working on this novel because I have a series planned and I can't believe I'm still on the first book almost 10 years later. It's crazy. (laughs) A little bit ridiculous. (laughs) I think it's funny because I'm in the exact same position. one One of my first stories I wrote is my Dark Heart series. And I'm the same as you. I started it years and years ago, wrote it, finished the whole, finished all of draft one, left it for a bit, came back, didn't like it, chopped pieces up, started again, did more, changed it, changed it. Wrote lots more scenes and, and ideas and plot lines for the next eight books, but not structured. I didn't create eight books. I created thousands and I do mean thousands of scenes and story ideas and new characters that will definitely be about eight or nine books worth of of material and then when I went back to the first book I decided I didn't like it anymore and I burned it down and started again and I made my character a bit darker and I brought in my same as you I have a I have two two protagonists I brought in another protagonist and it meant I had to shift between bouncing between two different groups of people and then I left it again and then I came back and I trashed it again and I started again and the problem is because like yourself it's a series even if the other eight plus books are ready they're not but say they were you can't get anywhere until book one's done and the first book is your foundation for the entire series. If you're writing a series, if it's a standalone, that's a little bit different, but we're not talking about that. So we're just not going to worry <laughs> about standalones. I don't have the other books in my series outlined, but I have most of their titles and I have the basic summaries and blurbs about what's going to happen in those books. But I can't really get to those books until I establish those characters in the first book. And there are so many times where I just want to put the first book to the side and just write the next book. And maybe by writing the next book, it'll kind of motivate me and I'll learn more about the characters that I can kind of fudge in the first book. Not fudge the details per se, but, you know, kind of push me forward into figuring the rest of it out. 
what you said about that you have you might not have them plotted but you have like summaries and titles and you know kind of what's going i unfortunately don't have that and because when i first started writing i was a pantser through and through and i only came to plotting and, pa- and planning later i am dealing with this mass of just ideas and i don't have right this is going to be book two this is going to be book three this is going to be book four so i now have a shed load of of things to go through to try and figure out which story is going to come next so i'm kind of envious that you already have titles and summaries and you have a vague idea of what each book's about because i don't have that and i'm kind of wading into this quagmire of mess that i have created for myself and knowing how long novels take to write it's kind of stressful thinking I have to go and, and figure, figure all this out. Well, honestly, the reason I went ahead and I started sort of kind of outlining the rest of the series is because I was trying to motivate myself to finish the first book. I'm like, hey, look at book five. Doesn't this look nice and juicy? Yes. You want to write this. You need to do this first. <laughs> I'm trying to entice myself to finish the first book so I could get on to book two and so on and so forth because... In when we talked about running linearly or jumping around in episode 14 with Julie Valerie, go give that a listen if you haven't listened to that already. Uh-huh. Yay. Shameless self-promotion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when we talked about writing linearly or jumping around, we were talking about writing the scenes and the chapters within one book. I don't necessarily think you can jump around writing a book series. I do truly believe that you kind of have to write book one before book two and so on and so forth. Because if you don't, then you're going to find a lot of plot holes later on in previous books. But when it comes to just writing the first draft or the second draft or any draft, it's one of those things because you read books and you look at your favorite authors and your favorite books and things like that. And it makes you wonder how many drafts was this before it finally got published? You hear stories about how many times the book got rejected by publishers, but you don't necessarily hear about how long it took them to write the book and how many drafts it actually was and how many changes it went through. So with that said, when you write your own book and you look at your own first draft, it is frustrating to think that you didn't write the perfect book within the first draft. That's not going to happen. You're going to have several drafts. And if you If you only have, like, five drafts or something, good for you. (laughs) That is not me. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I think that's that's just going to tie on to a little thing about how so many writers compare where they are currently, which is usually, you know, in the middle of a draft, to the completed works of, like, famous authors. And it's like, oh, why can't I be as good as that? And it's like, they didn't start out like that. None of us start out like that. We have to just like constantly work and work and practice and practice and hate it and love it and and delve in and ignore it and cry about it and celebrate it. It's like, it isn't just like, done, perfect. Nobody, and I do mean nobody, has a perfect first draft, second draft, third draft. There isn't, you, you just don't. So bouncing off of that, another thing that I wish I knew about writing before I started is how obnoxious the editing process is. Because as you just said, the first draft isn't perfect. The second draft isn't perfect. Well, why isn't the second draft perfect? If you're editing it, the second draft should be perfect, right? No, no. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. (laughs) And for me, when I first started editing my mystery novel, 
I didn't fully understand how editing worked. I didn't really know what I was supposed to be looking for. So what I did was I looked for typos and I looked for spelling errors. And it would take me a week to get through the entire novel. And then I'm like, yay, I have a story. Woohoo. But it still sucked. <laughs> and then I would fix all my typos on the computer and I would look at my second draft. I use air quotes for second draft. And it was exactly the same as the first draft. And it, it just, and then I would look at the second draft. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? When I first started, there were so many things about writing and technique. You know, there were books on writing, there was articles on writing and everything like that. And I, I remember there wasn't this massive amount of information about editing. You know, it was kind of like, well, as long as you have the basic idea of like grammar and structure and punctuation, you're fine. And so first of all, not everyone has that. <laughs> and second of all, there's a lot more to editing than that, as you said. And I think finding out that there are such things as structural and developmental edits, line edits, copy edits, proofreads, all of these are different and they all need different types of skill. That's why, you know, we are supposed to get a professional editor, at least by the end, you know, definitely do your own edits, but at the end, you know, you should look at getting a professional editor who has the qualifications and skill set specific to these different edits, because it is just, it's just, just, stressful process and let's be honest we all get editing blindness where you'll just go over the same issues over and over and just miss it every time yeah well that's why they tell you to read your story out loud so that you don't miss anything and it's true it does work you read out loud you do catch more mistakes than you would if you read it in your head i forget why that is it's something with your brain i don't know but <laughs> Science! Something in your brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I forget the, I, I looked it up one time, but I forget, I'm not going to go into the whole spiel about it. But earlier when you said that you can look up books and blog posts and things like that about writing and how to write a book, there, as you said, there isn't a whole lot of information about how to edit a book. You can, I can go to my local bookstore and I can go to the writing section, but it's labeled as writing and reference. So it tells you how to write, but then it also tells you how to correct your grammar. So for me, when I edited my first draft of my novel, that's what I did. I thought editing was, you're looking at your grammar, you're looking at your spelling mistakes. I didn't think about making sure that one paragraph flowed well into the next. I didn't make sure that my characters developed well or that the setting was well described. I didn't look at any of that. And of course, none of that was true. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so here we are almost 10 years later <laughs> i think with editing like we talked earlier about how you know writing is so time consuming and because you have to keep writing you have to keep practicing the idea of just writing one story editing it and publishing it immediately i don't know i i don't feel that's the best method you need to do lots of writing to build your voice and your style and get the practice you need to be a, a strong writer. And I think writing just one story one time is probably not the best way. Obviously that's just my opinion. Everyone can do their own thing, just saying. And with editing, I know so many people who hate editing that they will like avoid it at all costs or they'll do like a very quick edit. You know, I've known the people who've given their books to beta readers that 
before well before it should have been given to them and they needed to have edited it because they didn't like the editing because they haven't had the same practice at editing but it is like writing you need to have practice at editing and it's just not as fun as writing so it is that kind of oh i'll just put it off or i'll just do a quick pass or i'll fob it off on someone else and hope they can edit all of it and it's like even it's like you wouldn't want to pay a professional editor to edit your work and have to pay twice as much because you could have caught several of those you know lots of those errors and you didn't because you didn't want to do editing even if it is obnoxious <laughs> well that's the thing even after you send your work to an editor you still have to take a look at their edits and fix it yourself so you're still doing you're still editing in the long run but speaking of editors my final point as to what I wish I knew about writing before I started was how expensive writing can be because there are softwares you can buy to write like for example like Scrivener it's not too expensive but you still have to buy it and when you're getting ready to prep your novel for publication you need to look for a book cover artist which is expensive rightfully so and even an editor and editors are expensive again rightfully so and there are so many other things that go along with it like even just research can cost you money if you're like sure you can google something or you can go to your local library and check out a couple of books but sometimes you need sometimes you can buy reference books at your local bookstore on how to write scenes or something there are all these different reference books and you have to do research and sometimes that's an added cost and honestly if you don't have a good computer you got to buy a new computer or something i had to do that i i was writing my novels on a 7 year old laptop for a while you're so right it is expensive like you said i mean book cover artists and you can get different types you can get someone you can work with directly who will create the book cover that you want or there are the slightly cheaper options where there are artists who have created um book covers that you might find work well and all they have to do is change maybe the title on it and put your name but then you get the the design that they've pre-made which is a cheaper option but it's still it's not like really cheap you're still paying a couple hundred pounds um for some of the cheaper ones but that you know understandable these people are designers and they deserve to be paid correctly editors marketing you know there's a lot of things you can do free in marketing but there's also things that you know you should pay for certain things if you want to really boost your marketing you know you'll need to buy a website we've talked about websites before and we both believe that you should have a website as an author so that's paying for self-hosting or paying for uh, the platform such as we're on wordpress and paying for premium or business paying for the domain name it's you know a lot of these aren't massively expensive but they are still costs and it all adds up the money definitely does add up to the point that i think it's helpful to create a budget for yourself um I've done that plenty of times in the past and I've reworked my budget over and over because you do need to look at writing resources and programs and you need to save up for a book cover artist and an editor but then also you do need to market your book and as we've talked about in a previous episode it's very useful to schedule your social media posts and if you go on a scheduling tool they do have a free version but you really should think about upgrading to a paid plan because you'll be able to get more out of it and you can figure out your analytics and it'll make the marketing that much easier 
more expensive, yes, but not much easier. That's true. It's I think people do shy away from the fact that it's like there are so many costs and they think, well, I'll just do it on the cheap. But you think about how many hours of your life you have spent writing these novels, writing this this manuscript. It deserves to be treated well. It deserves a great cover. It deserves a good editor. It deserves a decent marketing plan. Yes, you can do it for free. You can create your own designs. You can just be your own editor. But I guarantee that will unless you are an actual professional designer and a professional editor and a, you know, a professional marketer, it, it's not going to be as good as paying for someone else who has those skills to do it for you. It's just the way it should be. But it is painful when you look at how much it costs. You might make those expenses back, but it might be stretched over several years. It's 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 hard to it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes thinking how much money you might have to put out on a hope of getting at least that much back. It's kind of like a leap of faith. Obviously, this is talking self-publishing. If you go traditional, then most of the cost is taken over by the publishing house. Obviously, the flip side of that is you don't have the same control. They can request certain larger edits of taking things out and changing big structural things that you actually really liked. The cover might not be what you actually want. You still have to market. But anyway, that's that's an episode for another time. <laughs> I say I love your points of what you wish you'd learned. Um, mine are a little bit different. And I think the main one for me is I really, really wish I'd learned how important it was to get systems in place early. As I mentioned at the beginning, I have all these story ideas, these, these series novel ideas, and I've just got them scribbled down in Word documents, in Scrivener, in notepads, in hard copies. I have multiple printouts of scenes where I've edited and scribbled on and then I'm trying to figure out which version is the correct version because I hadn't set anything up when I first started and looking at it now having to go through all these old documents figure out my scenes my you know which which story ideas and arcs fit into which book is so messy I wish I'd started with strong systems and how I stored my information. Now, while there are changes, because when I first started writing, I used Microsoft Works, not Word, Works. That's how, that's how old I am. And then obviously then I moved to Microsoft Word, but I've still got old Microsoft Works folders and, and files. So I have to convert those over. I've had computers die and then I've ended up using um, OpenOffice. That's another program that isn't always fully compatible, so I have to convert those. Now I use Scrivener, so I'm now trying to put information and scenes onto Scrivener projects. And it just I just wish I'd, I'd had a better system in place at the start. And I tell everybody now, who especially if they're starting writing, get your systems in place. Figure out where you want to store your documents, how you want to organize your writing. If you are, are a planner, be a planner, get your, your outlines down, be clear. You do not want to have to deal with the mess I am having to deal with, you know, from, from years and years of writing. I have got so much to go through and organize and, and relocate. And it, no, it's, it's so, so stressful. I'm in the same boat as you, though. 
if you're going to be a writer, you need to be organized. I have, I mean, my novels, they are in notebooks. They are on the computer. They're on, like, I have notes on, like, the little sticky note application on my computer. They're on actual sticky notes. They're on poster boards. They're everywhere. And I, I sometimes just have loose leaf notebook paper. And they're all folded up. I don't know why I fold them up and I put them in a folder. I, like, it's, it's crazy. And usually my drafts, I have those accordion folders that have, like, the 13 different pockets and I, I'll use those for my drafts and then my drafts are so so thick that they don't fit in the folder but that's a whole nother issue but it is true because I I wrote everything on Microsoft Word and there was a time where I tried to write novels on Google Docs and I like Google Docs but not to write a novel but that's just my opinion but then I discovered Scrivener and now I use Scrivener and I absolutely love it, but I still have so many drafts and novels on Microsoft Word that I need to put onto Scrivener to make the process easier for me. And yeah, definitely, I do agree, you need to get your systems in place early. But on the flip side, Scrivener, I hadn't heard of Scrivener when I first started writing. I started writing when I was 10. I don't even know if Scrivener was a thing at that point. So I think it was. Yeah, so I think there's probably going to be new programs that will come out within the next couple of years. And who knows, maybe something better than Scrivener will come along at some point and we'll be having this conversation again. So things will change, but for the most part, if you can find something that you really like and that's easy for you to work with and easy for you to have all of your notes in one place or, you know, one or two places, just do it. Just just do it that way. <laughs> It'll make your life so much easier. I never envisioned I would have as many ideas as I have. I didn't realize I was going to end up with series after series after series to write. And I did eventually start creating folders. I have boxes that have got labels on for certain novel series and all the paperwork, all the notes and the scenes go into that. I have a filing cabinet that I ended up putting um, my scenes in alphabetical order because I because I, I said I don't write in chapters I write in scenes and for my dark heart series I just wrote thousands of scenes not even I didn't even tie them into books so I just have scenes with titles and I just I will just put them in alphabetical order and then I'll just go through all the A's and all that and that's how I do it until I figure out and then I've started to kind of collect them together and think that well this scene has to have happened after this scene and then I'm starting to build up how the book should be. And that when I get to it, like, all right, this is one whole book story. Right, that's going to go in this box. And I'm going to label it. But I, I shouldn't have to do that. But unfortunately, I didn't set my system up in time. I didn't move with the times quick enough. So like all my backups were on floppy disk originally. When that changed to CDs, I did, ch I did start using CDs. I still kept floppy disk. And then obviously we got to a point where computers didn't have disk drives anymore. So then it was like this rush to get all the information off these disk drives, you know, from somebody whose computer had a disk drive and then onto a CD. Then CDs became obsolete, kind of. And everyone's on pen drives or hard drives or cloud systems. And I actually have copies and copies and copies and copies of, of saved documents. I've probably got so many duplicates that I also have to go through. I think it's hard for all of us to keep up with change because nobody likes change. If you find something that's working for you, 
you're going to stick with it for as long as possible. So I don't blame you for not, you know, moving along. But a side note, you say you have so many duplicates. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> because one other thing, like total side note, one thing you should do if you're going to start being a writer, back up all of your stuff. <laughs> back it up and save duplicates just in case, because you never know. <laughs> Seriously. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I used to print stuff out because I had so many random tech moments where like my, my old PC reformatted itself one day. It just switched on and reformatted. And thankfully I had floppy disks, CDs, and I had paper copies. And I became so obsessed with the idea that my computers or my laptops could just die like that. This was before cloud that I would print everything I had. I mean, I, I think I killed way too many trees. and I ended up with stacks and stacks, but there was the panic of if the computer goes and the disks co corrupt, I've lost everything. And when you write a lot, it, it's, it's too heartbreaking. I mean, we've talked about data loss in an episode. Uh, I think it was episode nine. You just don't want to have to deal with that. So get your systems in place as soon as you can figure out the best way of keeping your, your, your stories organized, paper copies, digital copies and backups and have them working the best for you. So you're not drowning in duplicates. You're not struggling to find anything, <laughs> which is what I'm doing constantly. I still print things out like all the time, even though I have my stuff saved in all these different areas. <laughs> but I have to say, this is kind of random, but it, it works. Um, it's on topic a little bit. I used to, when I was in college, I used to sit in the library and I used to print out my manuscripts because I figured I'm already paying them. I might as well use their paper <laughs> and use their ink. <laughs> and I used to just print out like, I would print out like 20 to 30 pages at a time so that other people in the library trying to print out actual homework and reports <laughs> could use it as well. But I would just like sneakily go back and forth printing out 20 pages <laughs> And one person actually called me out on it, and I told them that it was like a thesis. <laughs> and they believed me. Or the, maybe they didn't believe me, but they they didn't say anything else, and they didn't tell the librarians or anything. Nice. I actually printed out a lot of manuscripts that way. <laughs> Cheating the system so at its finest. <laughs> Certainly got your money's worth at the library then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take, taking all the paper and ink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay let's think next my next point my next point of what i wish i knew before i'd started writing was how much marketing you need to do before you even finish the novel again we're talking um self-publishing although let's be honest even if you are traditionally publishing you do need to market i don't understand how people who are going the traditionally published route don't understand that they are still going to have to do marketing yes you'll get help but you are expected to drive traffic build a following and prove that you've got you know followings on social media a working website things like that but anyway i digress when I found out that you have to build this following and build your brand as an author, because in the end, you don't want to just go, here's my book. And people are like, oh, who, who the hell are you? Why, why would I want to read it? You have to generate interest. You have to let people know who the hell you are before they'll want to buy your book. And to do that, you need to market early. That's why we talk about getting a website created before you publish a novel, before you finish a novel even. 
you have to know where your target audience is. You have to prowl around on social media and connect with people. And I was totally unaware of just how much you have to do. Probably proof of that is the fact that I didn't even end up on social media until 2016. <laughs> I just, I just like shunned it completely. And as I started learning more and more about marketing, it was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to go on and be social. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing. You need to generate excitement about your book. You need to show people, hey, look, I'm doing this awesome, really cool thing, and I want to share it with you, and you're going to love it, I promise. <laughs> totally am not going to break that promise. If you're not going to be excited about it, and you're not going to really talk about it, then people aren't going to know about it, and they're not going to be excited about it. So yeah, as you said, when you publish something, and you go onto Twitter, and you're like, hey, look, I did a thing people are going to be like, oh, well, okay, cool. Good for you. But I don't care about it, you know? <laughs> and then, the, and then you just get sad. <laughs> but I mean, marketing itself is so daunting. And yeah, you do think that you have to market after you have a completed product and after you have a completed project and, but you, you do, you need to build up that general interest and you need to figure out your audience before you publish something because then when you do have it published, you're, you're marketing to the right people. It's like focus. You need to say, right, well, because there is this, Oh, you know, my book's for everyone. No, it's not. Your book is not for everyone. No book is for everyone. No movie is for everyone. No, you know, I can't tell you anything else. No ice cream is for everyone. <laughs> there will always be some people who don't like what you're writing about. So you can't market to everyone. You have to be specific. You have to be focused. And actually being on social media and doing the early marketing, it kind of lets you know. If you're not 100% sure who your target audience is, by putting information out, by talking about it, you'll start getting people showing interest. You'll be able to use that data to find out who is interested, what sort of person they are, what age they are, you know, where are they from? What other hobbies are they, do they have? And it'll be able to help you create this ideal reader, which is what you're supposed to aim for when you're doing marketing. And that'll help you in the marketing before you published, after you publish, when you're doing a book launch. I think one of the things I've noticed is people come to marketing assuming, well, it's like, well, once the book's out there, people will find my book. And it's like, are you kidding? There's millions being published, millions. And now that we have self-publishing, that just keeps getting bigger and bigger because people have the option to self-publish. So you do need to be more focused. You do need to find out who, who you're going after. And by marketing early, it also helps for when you start marketing afterwards, because if you're trying to do all your marketing after the book is published, you don't have time for that. Nobody has time for that. Spread that crap out from beginning to end. So spread it all out. That's the only way to cope with marketing. But it is, it is stressful. If you're, not, if you're not a marketing person, if you're not a, a social person, if you're introverted like we are, it is actually quite difficult to deal with the amount of marketing and not to make it sleazy. Like, hey, buy my shit, you know? It's, yeah. it's, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to sit there going, buy this, buy this. But then you've got to find, you've got to be sneaky. And it's not always easy to be sneaky. No, it's not. But that's actually one of the nice things about marketing before you finish your book or before you publish your book. 
because you can generate excitement without being sleazy. Like you can share sneak peeks, you can share character sketches, you can share one-liners and say, you know, look at this awesome thing that I wrote. People will respond and say, this sounds great. When is it coming out? And then at that point, you've already gathered up readers and potential buyers. It's also hard to market before you finish your book because if you come to a standstill with writing your novel, it's really hard to tell people, I'm writing this thing. It's coming out this day. Here's a sneak peek. Here's the cover reveal. And then you come to a standstill with your novel and you come to writer's block or you find a plot hole. And then sometimes you can kind of lose the motivation to finish your novel or it takes you a lot longer to write than you expect then it's kind of hard to market it to people when you feel like you have nothing to market because your novel has just kind of come to a standstill. That's actually a good point, and it kind of moves me on to my next point, which is how easy it is to get deflated with your writing and to get distracted during, you know, with, with other things going on in your life. I think the, the idea of, of, of being a writer and sitting down and writing in a little writing den every day, you know, morning to night, churning out novel after novel, that is great. And if you can do it, brilliant. But it's not true for everyone. The motivation and the enthusiasm for writing doesn't stay high all the time because we're humans and we have a soup of emotions and, and feelings going on all the time. And if we have a bad day, if we have, if we're ill, if we're just going through some rough times, it will bring us down and it can have a detrimental effect on our writing. And some people are great and they can just charge through and I love that. I really wish I had that and I am trying, but other people, it can just make you so deflated that you don't even want to look at your work. You can't stand the idea of it. I wish that wasn't a part of of writing. I wish that we could just keep that high level constant and it's just not the way it is. You have to ride these ebb and flows of dealing with your writing. We've all done it. You sit down, you're like, oh my God, I'm the best writer. This is brilliant. I love it. I'm just going to get all the prizes. I'm going to be a bestseller. And then three days later, you come and read the same thing and go, this is shit. What was I thinking? Nobody's ever going to read this because it's awful. And then the next couple of days, you're back to thinking it's brilliant. And it's just, it's trying to remember that these are just, you know, this is just feelings inside and it's, it doesn't always mean that the writing is bad. It doesn't always mean the writing is good either. <laughs> so you have to make sure that when you're coming to it, you're critical and you're thinking carefully about it. You're not just like, oh my God, it's awful. I'm going to shred it. It's one of the reasons why we say get beta readers, get critique partners to make sure it keeps you grounded. It keeps you from overreacting. <laughs> That's my final point of things I really wish I'd known before writing, just how everything else in life and your moods and your well everything can just can affect your writing it's it's not something so separate that it won't get affected when other parts of your life fall apart or take precedent and you have to kind of deal with that and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why some of our writing has taken as long as it's taken and you kind of have to just right now (laughs) not just you me as well (laughs) But no, it's like, I think that's better. It's like an excuse. It's not my fault. Something happened. 
<laughs> life, life got in the way. I've known a few writers in the past who have given up writing because their situation changed and they lost time. You know, maybe they had a family, maybe somebody got very ill and they needed to care for them. Maybe they, you know, something worse happened and they had to struggle for a long time and they just were never able to go back to it or maybe they just they couldn't look at it with the same enthusiasm anymore so they just let it go maybe that was the best thing for them at that time but in the end you have to acknowledge that writing is part of your life it is not the whole of your life and other things will affect it and you have to do what's best for you whether that means letting a story go whether that means you know, stepping back for months, years, if necessary, whether it means just buckling down and just tearing through and hoping you get to the other end. I mean, I have one of my earliest novels. I still love it. And it is actually finished. I think it got through like three edits. So it's not like a, a, a half finished novel. It's like at least well, three edits in, but it's a full manuscript. And it was one of my first ones and I love it. I keep it in a binder and I keep thinking, I'll go back to that. I'll go back to that. I'll go back to that. And it's like, no, I actually made a decision this year to pack it up. I'm not going to publish it. If when I'm retired, I want to go back to it, maybe. But I'm going to pack it up, get it out of my sight, because it's just distracting me from everything else. I have other novels I want to work on, and I need to let that one go. And I think it's taken me this many years, like so many years, to make that decision. But I know it's the right one. You know what? That's a hard decision to make, but good for you for making that decision because they do say that your first novel will never get published. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who have published uh, their very first novels, whether it's self-published or traditionally published, but for the most part, your very first novel is kind of like a practice run of writing and it normally never sees the light of day. It doesn't matter how many rounds of edits you do you can come up with so so many different excuses as to why you don't finish your novels and life does get in the way but on the flip side good things can happen too like I know for me one of my biggest distractions is if a new video game comes out that's all I want to do every day is I just want to play that new video game this probably goes back into my earlier point about how time-consuming writing can be the writing itself is very time-consuming but half of the reason is probably because we come up with excuses for ourselves and we get distracted. We're too tired. We had a long day. A new video game has come out. Our favorite book has just come out and we need to read that in one sitting. There's a plethora of things that can happen that puts your novel at a standstill and you just get so distracted or deflated. And because if your novel is taking you so long, you can get deflated and feel like, oh, I'm never going to finish this. This is terrible. Why did I start this in the first place? So society as a whole has this thing about instant gratification. What things now? What things now? Whereas writing is the epitome of waiting. It takes ages. I mean, yes, I know some people manage to churn out, you know, stories in, in, in a month or a week or something, but even then it doesn't end you've got editing and checking and, and all that so it is the process of writing is a long drawn out process it's one of the reasons why we all go oh, i'm getting bored of this story i'm going to jump to another story and do another story and we we hop between ideas and we're not supposed to do that but we do <laughs> yeah. which is why i have three stories going at once yeah and i think no that's true <laughs> <laughs> i'm in the well, same boat <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we're always fighting against this long drawn out waiting of, of getting, you know, from starting the writing to holding the book and saying, da 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 da, look, it's published. Yep. It's such a long time. And yet we are surrounded by a world of instant gratification. No wonder we're distracted. No wonder we get deflated. You know, waiting months, years even to get it finished, to get it published. And I think, I think going into it, knowing, yes, it's going to take a long time. Yes, things are going to get in your way. Yes, you're going to feel deflated. Yes, you might leave that story and go for another one and then hop to another one. It's, I think it's better, at least if you know that could happen, I don't think it hits you as hard. I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> Still feels like it hits me quite hard. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think those three are my my main things I wish I knew before starting writing. Although if I'd have known them, maybe I would never have started writing. That is true. Because I think if we've learned anything from this episode, it's that writing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but we love it. But we do. We enjoy it anyway. And it is fun, despite, you know, what we're saying. So long story short... What we wish we knew about writing before we started was that writing is time-consuming, the editing process is obnoxious, writing is expensive, we need to get all of our systems in place early and be organized, there's a ton of marketing that you need to do before, during, and after you publish, and it's very easy to get distracted and deflated during the whole writing process. So let us know what you guys wish you knew before you started writing in the comments or on Twitter using the hashtag The Merry Writer Podcast. If you want to get some extra content, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Merry Writer Podcast. You can support our show and get yourself some great rewards. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in next week for another one of The Merry Writer Podcast where we ask all the right questions. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye! This podcast is brought to you by Sticky Notes. Our walls are covered. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.